As we've been journeying through the book of Matthew, and particularly in, in the chapter Matthew 5, it just came to me this week that God is really challenging us in this strange time that we're in, not to look at how we as a church can appear more better on the external. Because people aren't at the moment drawn to what is happening externally. They're drawn to what is happening internally. And people notice whether we are believers by the faith that we carry internally. We don't even have signs up here, by the way, that there's a church gathering here. The church is gathering because there's something internally taking place in your hearts, I hope. And that's what we are trusting the Lord to keep on growing in our hearts. And so Matthew 5 has been particularly challenging us in terms of our internal attitudes and behavior. I hope it is doing that to you. If it's not, then please reread it again. But this morning is no exception as we go further. And this morning I want to talk about love without limits as we look at the final um, but I say to you statement that Jesus makes from Matthew chapter 5. Remember that we have been looking at this for the last couple of weeks and, and just been challenged by what Jesus has to say opposing or opposite to what um, people are saying. And so this morning from chapter 5 and verse 43... We're going to read together. And by the way, please bring your Bibles on your cell phones or on your tablets or in the printed format, whatever it is that you can. Bring it along. We can study it together. I'm reading to you from verse 43. It says, you have heard what it was, that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is probably one of the most difficult ones of all of these six statements that Jesus makes. And so last week we gave you a little bit of a, a break and prepared you that this morning we're going to talk about loving our enemies. So welcome back and well done for coming back, even though you knew we were going to talk about this. And for those of you that didn't know, you know, buckle up, we're dealing with this one today. The loving our enemies part, which is such a great one. <laughs> and um, we find here that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, people around you told you, you shall love your neighbor, which is from the Old Testament. The Bible teaches us that before we get into the New Testament. What is added here, it says, and hate your enemy. That was never said in the Old Testament. All right, this was added by people. People said, we think it's better that you do it this way. We think you could hate your enemy. And by the way, it pretty much became part of the Israelite mindset, I'm sure, because they had all these other tribes and other nations around them that they really attacked and then they killed. And I'm sure there must have been some form of hatred that developed in them. And so it became the norm that people said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus comes and he says, but I say to you. And he says, you have to love your enemies, as it says in verse 44b, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So how's this? Jesus is actually saying, 
the like father, like son thing, or like father, like daughter. So if you really want to consider yourself to be a son and daughter of God, it's not just by virtue of you attending meetings on a Sunday morning where supposedly the sons and the daughters come to. It is how you go back and go love those that are not so lovable. Uh-huh. So hence, that's why this is probably one of the most difficult of all these six. So he says, loving our enemies is actually one of the primary ways in which we operate like his children. Stop there for a moment. He says, later on he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We know that we cannot be perfect in, in our own strength. But we have a goal to walk towards, and that is to become more like him. And he's saying, one of the ways in which you see how close you're becoming like me is the way that you treat your, because everybody it says you can love their neighbors. It's easy to love those that love you back, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's really easy to love you. I think you're loving back. Some of you sometimes battle with that. Oh no, it's fine, it's fine. But um, the point is, it's easy to love you, but it's so difficult to go and love outside of you. Mm? Now Jesus says, if you want to be known as one of my sons or daughters, this is the way in which you're actually going to be tested. The way that you love those that are considered to be your enemies. So now the question comes up. So who are my neighbors and who are my enemies? Some of you say, I don't have any enemies. You're like, whoa, he's just like Jesus. Well done. You know? The reality is we do have both. Our neighbors really, if you look at the word, what it really means, it's those that are near or nearby. And in this context, obviously, there are physical people that are nearby to you. You've got to love everybody here. Oh, maybe that's going to be another conversation to deal with. To say, okay, are we actually loving our neighbors? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Then the thing that he actually says through that is no one is excluded because either which way, you're going to have people near to you some stage or not. There were people that will always be near to you, like your wife and your husband or your parents or your siblings or your children or your colleagues or your you know, fellow students. There always will be people that are nearby. And then at other moments, there will be other people that will be nearby, like this moment, this morning, where you have people that are your neighbors and that you've got to look around and say, Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. Huh? Sometimes it's easy to say that when it's just a few of you, but it, when the crowd becomes bigger and the people that are nearby become more, then it's not so easy, is it? But anyway, that's neighbor side. Then we talk about enemy. So who are our enemies? It's really one thing I kind of puzzled with and sat with this week and said, God, who are my enemies? And should I have enemies? And I find that it's very clear that in the Bible, there's one enemy that we have. Very clear. Anyone? Satan. That's your enemy number one. And he wants to make others your enemies too. All right? So his strategy is to make, bring enmity between you and others. But that's another thing. The point is, we only really have one enemy. What that enemy does, he brings this stuff into the world. And therefore, we actually have the world as our enemy too. So you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you want to go out and, and, and do what is right, but you are facing opposition. The world is against you. 
All right? Then the other thing that is against you is this thing. The flesh. Because the flesh says, oh, come and do this. This is nice. Actually, you've been enticed by the world, but your flesh wants you to go and do it. So really, you have the, the flesh as well as an enemy. You've got the world as an enemy, but essentially, we all have the devil as an enemy. And the Bible doesn't actually say that you are rightful or justified to have people as enemies. Because we do not fly, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Because we're in the spiritual war. So whenever something goes wrong between you and another person, it's not a fleshly fight. It is a spiritual battle that we're engaging. Because the devil wants to bring enmity between you and others. And so the thing is this that I want to say. We need to ensure, therefore, that he who should be our enemy stays that and not become our friend. Very simple. So if the devil is supposed to be and is your enemy and supposed to stay that, don't make him your friend or your neighbor. That's one that you should always despise and walk away from. You have justification from the Bible to do that. Okay? Keep him your enemy. Don't make him your friend. The following happens. Those that should not be our enemies ought to be kept from becoming or being friends. If he's supposed to be your enemy, don't make him your friend. Life becomes confusing when we turn the enemy into a friend and our friends into enemies. I'm just going to evaluate your own life at the moment and say, is the devil in some areas of my life, has he become a friend? Where I just, hey, welcome. Friends we open the door to, isn't it? Hey, there's a knock on the door. Let's welcome them. And let them in, into our house. The devil is one that will always come and he will want to bang down the door. Say, let me in. I want to take control of your life. I want to guide you. I know better. And then when we do is, okay, I think that's not a bad idea. And we let him into some areas of our life. None of you are sitting here saying, oh, we worship the devil. That's the extreme. But what we do is we allow him into areas of our lives. And he becomes, supposed to be an enemy, he becomes a friend. And then what he also does is because we allow him in, he turns those that are supposed to be neighbors and friends, he turns them into enemies because of their attitude towards me and I can't forgive them, my attitude towards them, I don't like them. And suddenly, oh, the enemy that should be an enemy becomes a friend and the friends that are supposed to be friends become enemies and then I'm just confused. You see that? <laughs> James 4 Verse 4 says this, a friendship with the world is making yourself an enemy of God. Friendship with allowing the devil to come in to be a friend. And you've got to evaluate what that means, and we can talk more about that actually. But if you allow him to become a friend in your life, in whatever area of life it is, dear friend, then we're actually saying, God, I'm opposing you. Bible says you become an enemy of God. By resisting God's rule and allowing the enemy's rule, him becoming a friend and not God. You making God the enemy and the devil a friend. All right? So we've got to first of all define who's the enemy and who are those that we should love and not love. And it's very clear. 
The Greek word, and this is what I want to get to as well. The Greek word Jesus used for enemy in Matthew 5 is this word echtros. E-C-H, we spell it with a, a deep G sound. C-H in Greek is, is often, say with me, all right, if you, all right. So there's a little bit of a Greek lesson there for you. Hey, you go over, I learned some Greek this morning. So echtros, which really means to be hate, to hate or to be hostile. To be hostile towards someone. There's hostility between people. Actually, that means that that person has become your enemy or you have become their enemy through your hostility. Okay, so now let's start defining it more. What could be an enemy then in my life? It could be then if we use the word hostile and we look at the synonyms for hostile or being hostile, it will appear that my enemy are those whom I display the following towards. Are you ready? Buckled up. Keep it in place. Nobody's about to leave. Chris, you're awfully close to the exit. I'm watching you. Um, we're just buckling up to prepare ourselves for where I actually am perhaps an enemy towards somebody or I've made them an enemy of myself. Because you think, oh, I love everybody. I'm just so lovable. Surely I don't have enemies. But if we look at the word hostile and we synonyms, it could mean that enemies of the people that are displayed the following attitudes towards bitterness, Unfriendliness, dislike, anger, aggressiveness, confrontational attitude towards them. Because I have made them an echtros or being hostile, hostility is mani made manifest through those attitudes. I am living with anger. Or a certain amount of dislike towards somebody. I have made them an enemy. And I can justify my attitude by what they have done perhaps and give all excuses. But I'm sitting with an enemy. And Jesus says, don't turn your neighbor into an enemy. Because you ought to actually love all neighbors. And then we thought, okay, well, at least the enemies, no, no, they're not excluded from loving them. So even if you have enemies, through attitudes like this, what they've done to you, perhaps, you need to love them. And actually, at the end of the day, the equal sum is you've got to just let your enemies become your neighbors and love them the way that you ought to love them. In our other words, our enemies can be or can become the following. Those that are close to us, people we frequently encounter. It could be people who are difficult to get along with and we subsequently dislike. None of you battle with that, hey? There are no people in our lives where we're like, I don't really like this guy. I don't say that you should be the best friends with people. But we cannot harbor an echtros attitude towards somebody. Say with me, echtros. Yeah, some of you I couldn't hear because of the muffled sound of the, the mask, but it's fine. It's just that don't walk around with an echtros in your heart because of 
people that you know you not agree with, or, or people that make you angry, people who knowingly and unknowingly have harmed us and, and offended us and we have ill feelings towards, those people easily become echtros, the ones that we are hostile towards. People who operate in a way that annoy us. By the way, it doesn't mean that everyone who fits this category that I've just explained, people that have harmed you and angered you and annoyed you, will automatically be, be a, our enemy, but it is possible that they could become that. And should that happen? Jesus comes with his statement in Matthew 5. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your echtros and watch your heart towards them. He is clear that such people are the ones we ought to love and not only those lovable neighbors we have. Because he says, I mean, some of you, you love those who love you and, and you greet only your brothers. And I mean, there's no difference between you and the rest of the world if you do that. That's easy. He says, no, 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 I want you to kick into a different mode where you love those that are actually annoying. They anger you. You don't like being with them. You dislike their behavior. Ooh, they've offended you. They hurt you. They say things to you about you. Jesus says, if they're your echtros, love them. We do not have control over those who see us as their enemies. But we do have control over those who we let our hearts view as enemies of ourselves. So if you, obviously, if you do things towards people that make you their enemy, you've got to deal with that and, and repent. Make sure that we live peaceably with all people, the Bible says. But we have control particularly over those that we view as our enemies. And if you're sitting here this morning with a mindset that such and such is an enemy of mine, I want to challenge you to before God say, God, help me. I need to change that. So let me prove to you. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians, please, would you? 2 Thessalonians is a beautiful portion that can just help us understand that people close to us can be deemed as enemies. Should not be, but it can be possible. So Paul is writing in 2 Thessalonians, or the second and the Thessalonians get mixed up. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and he's writing about people that are idle and and not just walking um, with them. And so in verse 13, he says the following. Remember, he's writing to believers, Christians. He says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Amen? Do not grow weary in doing good. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, the one that he's just writing here or had written, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. That he may be ashamed. So he's just trying to say, help these people see that there's truth that they are ignoring. So it's, a, it's an extreme situation. Understand. But listen to what he's saying. Because these are brothers, eh? And sisters within the body. Then he says in verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy. I checked the word. It's echtros again. Do not be hostile towards them. But warn him as a brother. Love them. So don't turn around and say, this person is doing X, Y, and Z. He's not listening to Paul. He's ignoring the word. Oh, we've got a justification to call them an enemy. Or they're not treating us the way that we want to be treated. So we have reason to echtros them, to be hostile towards them. Count 
people that do not agree with you or do not agree with whatever you believe in, not as your enemies, but as neighbors still, and love them. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, do I have anyone in my life that I'm hostile towards at the moment? Or that are hostile towards me? Do you have anyone like that? I want to ask you to find those names, write them down, and love them. And say, God, this is really a difficult one. I'm finding it difficult to really love this person. I see that they actually have become an enemy of mine. I see that my attitude, the way that I think about them, the way that I see them when I look at them. I want to ask you to find those names and in God, repent of an attitude that is ungodly and start loving them. Whatever way you could and should change your attitude. If there's hostility from them towards you, then you turn around and forgive and love them that way. But don't become resentful and uh, start justifying your attitude. I want to give you two stories this morning that I was reading through the Old Testament earlier this week, not in preparing, but just doing my own reading through Scripture, and these two stories just struck me, and it is just so incredibly relevant for where we are. I want to ask you to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to read to you a story about a man called Naaman and a little slave girl who had no name given. She probably had a name, but the Bible doesn't give us a name of her. So it says here in 2 Kings chapter 5, it talks about Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. So these were the opponents of the Israelites, all right? It says he was a great man. Say with me, great man. <laughs> great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So he had a real sickness. It says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. So they had attacked Israel, and when they returned, a little girl came with them and became a slave in his house. It says, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So a little slave girl, Israelite girl, is, is captured by the Syrians, and she's taken with to go and serve in Naaman's wife's home, and she's a slave there. All right, not a great picture, is it? I mean, how many of us would want our little girls to be taken captive into another nation, into another people that do not know God, that is not interested in God, that do not serve God? And here this little girl is. It says the following. She's in captivity, all right? Verse 3 says, she said, who is this she? The little slave girl that is captured. She has no name given. It says, she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, his 
boss basically. He says, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, no, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So what happens is he is allowed to go to the king of Israel. And long story short, he is eventually healed through a man called Elisha. But the key is this moment where one girl in captivity, she is not an ideal situation. She says, hey, my captor, my boss, my slave master is not well. I know how he can be healed. He's my enemy because he came and attacked my people. I don't know what happened to my parents. But you know what? I want the best for him. <laughs> That's astonishing. It's just completely incomprehensible for us to think that I would be in captivity and want the best for my, my master. I was like, oh boy, you got leprosy, you will suffer, baby, suffer. Just, you know, just good on you. Look at what you did to me. I don't have any contact with my parents. I don't know whether they're alive. Maybe they were killed. We don't know that. Imagine the resentment and the bitterness and the echtros attitude that she could have justifiably lived with. Jesus speaks into that and says, I want you to love your enemies. And she does. No matter who you are and where you are, God can use you. There's a little slave girl. God uses her to benefit somebody else. The key is not our location or our gift or where we are. The key is our hearts. She sought the peace. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 is a verse that's amazing. It's just God speaking to the Israelites in the midst of their captivity and saying, you've got to look out for the blessing of the city that you're in, not for what you can get, but what the people can get from you. She rose above her sorrows and became a blessing to the godless place she found herself in. She served her enemies. The second story is a chapter later, where in chapter 6, from verse 8 to 23, we read about the horses and chariots of fire. And, and again, there's this king of Syria was, was trying to fight against Israel. And it says that every time that he, that he thought about a plan to fight against Israel, God would speak to Elisha, the prophet in Israel, and tell him what the king from Syria was trying to do against Israel. So the prophet Elisha would then tell the king of, of, of Israel, don't go there because the Syrians are trying to ambush you. And so this king over here is like fed up. He's like, man, what's happening? Every time I'm trying to attack, there's a counter move from the Israelites. And he's like, somebody, somebody amongst us is telling the Israelites what my plans are. Who is that? One of them says, king, you know, there's a man over there. God speaks to him the very thoughts that you have in your room. It's like, whatever you're planning over here, God speaks to Elisha and says to him what you're trying to do. He's like, oh, go fetch that man and sort him out. I want to have him killed. So he sends an army. It says a couple of people came, not just a few. It says a number. It says in verse 14, so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city where Elisha is. So Elisha is, oh, he's calm. He's relaxed. He's sleeping. 
and his servant comes out and he's like, oh, and he sees this great army outside and he comes, ah, Elisha, you've got to wake up. There's these people that come to fight and, and probably taking you captive. And he says, don't worry. And he prays, he says, God, please open my servant's eyes. And he opens his eyes in the spirit realm and he sees the host of angels that are there. And he says, they are more for us than against us. And so, hey, the servant is quite calm. And so Elisha does this. He prays. He says, God, please close the eyes. He prays for the open eyes here. Now he prays for closed eyes. And this whole army that's come to fight him and attack him and kill him and take him captive to the king, their eyes are they're blinded. They can't see a thing. So they come in and, and they come to Elisha. And I'm just rephrasing the story quickly to you. And, and they like, hey, where are we? We're looking for the king. Um, we, we've come to, you know, just whatever. Like, I don't think they give you the, the, the full details it says, um, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and, and it says, please strike the people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me. I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So they not have a clue where they are. So Elisha says, come follow me. So he takes them right into the middle of the city of Samaria, right into the enemy's territory. And he's there with them. And he says, Okay, God, please open their eyes. They're like, oh, my goodness me. We've been tricked. We've been lied to. And so the king of Israel, he's like, yay, this is my moment. Let's take them out. Let's wipe them out. Listen to what Elisha says in verse 22. He answered the king of Israel, you shall not strike them down. Would you have taken... Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? He says to them, follow me, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. A few loaves of bread and water, responding in the opposite spirit, Treating them with kindness and turning that hostility around with a kindness shown from his heart. Jesus is virtually the same a couple of hundred years later. And he says, you've got to love your enemies. I want to leave you with that amazing two stories to challenge us again. When Jesus says, but I say to you, you have a certain way that you want to live and you want to justify it. He says, but I say to you the following. I want to ask you this morning. If there are any enemies in your heart, in your life, those people actually should just become your neighbors that you love, the way that you are called on Christ to love. And so as we close, I want to ask you to, to realize that it's never, ever wrong to love. But it is always wrong to hate and to be hostile. We've got one enemy keeping your enemy. But the people that are supposed to be your friends, don't turn them into enemies. Love them and be kind towards them. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're challenging us on these internal things, Lord. Things that are rather difficult for us to deal with. But I pray that as your people, Lord God, we will 
love our enemies, starting with those that we share a lot of time with, our lives with, our, our, our homes with, our, our workplaces with, our schools with, whatever they may be, Lord God. The people that we find nearby, I pray that none of them will be an enemy. And even if they are, I pray that this morning conviction of your spirit will come to help us see that we have no justification to let anybody be an enemy. I pray, Lord, that we will see those names, see those faces over the next couple of days even and trust you that they will no longer remain an enemy if they ever have been, but that they will become friends that we love and we care about. Help us to forgive where forgiveness is needed. I trust, Father, that we will, we will do that in honor of your precious name. Amen.